Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Blue Beetle. But before we do that, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast, Buddy? Did Blue Beetle trip you up? Did it put too much of a tongue twister in there? Yep. What we do on this podcast is we talk about games. We'll be doing a bunch of that, I'm sure, in the back half. But for now, we are deep in summer movie stuff. Obviously, the big story of the summer is Barbenheimer, right? Um, but, you know, technically kind of the doom of DC movies has just sort of been like a thing this year uh, with The Flash losing a gazillion dollars. Um uh, what was the one from earlier this year that just was... Oh, Shazam 2, right? Which is just, like, did nothing. Uh, and now we are in the third of four DC movies that are coming out this year. <laughs> no, hope to God, my lord and savior, Aquaman 2 is good. Um, and uh, that movie, that movie's Blue Beetle. Yeah. Uh, so, so the thing that tripped me up is I, like, at the last minute, decided to not go with the joke, um, which is what I titled the episode, which is Latino Iron Man. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but yes, um, so let's give, I guess, our pre-spoiler impressions. Buddy, how'd you feel about this movie? I really hated the first 45. I was actually coming, I was like, I'm going to come in here and give a scathing review, okay, of Blue Beetle. But it actually really won me over in the back half, mostly because it took a couple audacious, like, steps that I would say... Uh, I just, I, it's not that I didn't see them coming in a, in a weird way. You see everything in this movie coming, right? It is an extremely formulaic movie. Um, and even though I will go to bat for extremely formulaic movies from time to time, like, boy, boy, this is one, right? Uh, but like, you know, it just goes really hard in the back half. And it kind of saved the the movie for me. Not saved in the sense that it became, like, best picture or something, but it became fine. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Sure, right? <laughs> it's sort of the way I, I, would, I, I would say it. <laughs> I, I definitely feel that. My, my kind of reaction to it is, um, you know, uh, we know we've reached a new era of equality when you can have, like... <laughs> Hispanics making a mediocre superhero movie, right? Like this, this to me is basically like you take your most average Marvel movie and sprinkle Pandejo in it a couple of times, and you've got this movie. <laughs> I mean, oh god, that is that's kind of true. I, th I think the thing that bothers me the most about Blue Beetle, especially in the face of the the Flash, which I. You know, I liked The Flash quite a lot, right? You know, we, we obviously talked about it a whole bunch. I think that The Flash is doing some really interesting things, right? Blue Beetle is not. It, this is the stuff that makes me not like a lot of Marvel movies that have come out, like, kind of recently. And Blue Beetle is mostly doing those sorts of things. It just sort of gets these points because of the audacity of the back half, where it's just like, you know, Marvel sort of has this third act problem. People have talked about this before, where, like, you know, the, the movies sort of peter out. They, they don't have good stakes or whatever. Blue Beetle really ups the stakes in the back half of that film uh, in a way that I found very compelling. But, you know, I don't know. It's like your mileage may vary sort of thing. I obviously respond very hard to stakes like this um and uh uh yeah also and this doesn't matter for anything but the actor who plays jaime reyes's dad looks exactly like my dad and it fucked me up so bad like just it, i felt like i was just like watching my dad but with a mexican accent right <laughs> going through, ooh, 
like going through and acting in a movie. It was the strangest thing. Makes that I I you know if if I had been in that situation, I can understand why you. Does your dad have a mustache? Yeah. My da- like, uh, is this is this a, that thing? Oh, I'm sorry, I have to. I spilled something. But is this a thing that dads have to get mustaches at certain points? Um, I think dads of our like parents' generation actually. So like, I only, I I've never met your dad, but like, you've got like a Facebook picture with him in the, like like you're like in a truck or something, and from that it looks like he's he kind of actually looks relatively similar to my dad. Um, I obviously don't didn't see my dad in 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 uh, Jaime Reyes's father, so there's obviously that difference. Um, <laughs> Ryan says in the chat, you can't just say makes sense to buddy saying Mexican man looks like his father because that's racist. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna doubt Buddy. If buddy says that the the the, the Mexican it, father uh, looks like his his. his Latino it's father. not so much about him being Latino. Obviously, my dad is lat- like my, you know, my dad's Puerto Rican, and there's like some amount of shared heritage, I guess, in that sure. sort of thing. Even though technically it's like a ge- like Jaime, or what would it be? Jaime's a second generation immigrant. I am a third generation immigrant, right? So my dad, everybody above me, they're all bilingual, um, and it was my grandfather. Who, but technically, they didn't even immigrate because they came from Puerto Rico, right? They moved yeah, from Puerto like, Rico to New York City did, in the twenties. Was when did when did America take control of Puerto Rico? I, I don't even know. I'm sure do, it do must have been the Spanish American War, right? In like 1904 or something, like really? 1899 or something, right? It's got to be. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Let me uh, today on learn history with some, so, some terms talk about geography uh in 1917 okay the puerto rico became a u.s territory uh okay so 1898 uh, spain ceded the island of the united states under the provisions of the 1898 treaty of paris which ended the spanish-american war okay that makes sense all uh, right yeah, I mean, so obviously there's stuff in here about, like, illegal immigration or whatever. That's not something that, like, I don't know, my family can, like, empathize with. But hypothetically speaking, right? I don't know. I, so one of the weird things is I went to see this in, you know, in South Central L.A. The theater was packed. And everybody was kind of going wild. Like, I feel like if your target audience was to find, like urban Latinos near the south of the border, they probably did a really good job because, like, and it's crazy to me how much everybody was laughing at George Lopez's character, Rudy. Um, and, uh, but I don't know, they just fucking, I don't know, they went wild for his shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I am not a, a uh, Latino American, so I cannot comment on this, but like, it feels like a lot of other media I have seen that kind of, like, its portrayal is consistent with other media that portrays Latino Americans in such a way, and that's either racist or accurate, or both, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, like the, the telenovela thing, like that's like a stereotype, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking. Yeah, the uh, the director is, I do know the director is Latino. He actually is Puerto Rican, which I didn't realize. Uh, but I knew that he directed Charm City Kings, uh, oh, which is, yeah, it's like a, you don't know, it's a drama from uh, Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, from Baltimore in 2020 or whatever. Um, so, you know, I don't know. There's something there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, the real I think the real recommendation I would give people is this one you can just like wait for streaming. I actually think it's a good movie. I think it's worth it to put on. But I, there's no reason to go out to I would not go pay a movie theater ticket for this, you know, like it's just nothing there's nothing about the big screen that makes it worth it, right? There's nothing about like the cultural moment that makes it worth it. So, in my opinion, I am a wait yeah. for it to get on HBO Max gamer. Yeah, I mean, I would also say that you can safely skip it. Like like not that it's bad right like it's not like you'll mind but like if you miss it it's not like it's not like you're missing like a cinematic masterpiece right or anything right like i feel this way about like a lot of the marvel movies too but like you know you won't regret not seeing this but i also don't think you'll regret seeing it um but i i I agree with you wait for you can wait for streaming if you have to pay money to, to go see this um Oh, you, you made a point about, like, kind of, like, originality or whatever. And, like, the thing that popped in my mind immediately, this isn't a spoiler because it was in the in the, the trailer, is, like, the suit says, I can make any weapon you can think of. And he's got two swords. He's like, that's what I wanted here. And he makes a bigger sword, right? Like, as, as if, like, that's, like, the most creative thing he can come up with. Uh, so, you know, that just seemed kind of emblematic to me. Also, it's like a – it is like a buster sword. So, like, you know, I heard some people – Saying that, like, there's this is like a nod to like, um, it's like popular seven, or, or like the popularity of kind of like anime in in kind of the uh, oh sure yeah in, in, the, you know the, the interesting thing is I was thinking that it, there's a lot of like subtle video game stuff right there's yeah. a lot of chip tune in the soundtrack um, and in the sound effects as related to kind of ancient technology from the the fabled past of the 1980s <laughs> you know uh that i was I, I just like picked up on that i feel like there's a i don't know i feel like there's there's a lot there but yeah okay well, all right yeah. well um let's hit the spoiler section i don't think okay. it matters so much if spoilers... i also don't think it matters there's like zero anything to be spoiler on. yeah i mean if you care skip it like there's maybe a little bit of stuff towards the end i'm also probably going to be doing that thing where i ask you questions about like the history of the character um i'll I'll say this before um, we get there because i think i've said this on the podcast before but for a long time i basically had confused the tick and blue beetle so in my (laughs) mind like I, i thought the blue beetle was like a comedy character so um you know there's that but all that and more past spoiler section if you would like not like to be spoiled hold your fire and don't watch this thing all right that's your warning uh <laughs> arise in the chat mango went into this movie with the wrong expectations. no I, I had figured it out by the time uh we had gotten to the we, i had gotten to the theater right because i had seen other stuff but like you know i yeah anyway buddy explain to me the brit like hey like i i've seen obviously seen a blue beetle in young justice right um, and that was also Jaime Reyes, right? Um, but I know there's Ted Cord, and I know he mentions, mentions Garrett. Dan Garrett. Yeah, yeah, this is... So, okay, so the, the, the story of a lot of DC superhero characters, right, is there's the Bronze Age, or I'm sorry, the Golden oh. Age, the Silver Age, and the kind of Bronze Age, right? Um, Blue Beetle is a character whose original incarnation was just part of this huge superhero boom in the Golden Age, right? Kind of alongside other, you know, like, I would consider, I consider these guys the Justice Society of America characters, right? So, um, 
the original Green Lantern who carves the lantern out of a magic meteorite, right, is kind of in this. Uh, the original the Flash. Weakness, or the yellow weakness is... is, is the wood green? weakness. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Green Lantern. There's the, uh, there's the Flash with the tin hat, right? That's the original version of the Flash. Uh, his name is Jay Garrick, right? Dan Garrett is the Blue Beetle in this incarnation of the character. And uh, sort of has this incarnation's backstory, which is that he is an archaeologist and he's like working in Egypt or something. He finds this ancient Egyptian scarab and it bonds to him, right? And he gives him his powers. In the movie, there were the three, you know, there, there's three mannequins. Two of them have suits. One of the suits has red gloves and red trunks. That's Dan, Gar Dan Garrett's Blue Beetle, right? Um, Dan Garrett uh, I want to say dies, um, but essentially the Silver Age incarnation of Blue Beetle, right? So this is where most of the genesis of our modern superheroes come. Uh, oh, also for the record, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman are unique exceptions to this rule. Mostly what happened is the Golden Age characters went away. So you have you have the superhero frenzy in the 1940s, right? Um, 1939 is... 1938 is Superman, 1939 is Batman, 1940 is Captain America, right? And there's this just frenzy of creating all of these characters. But in the 50s, superheroes kind of go by the wayside, and comics mostly revolve around horror stories, all this other sort of stuff. Um, eventually, it's complicated. The characters... Um, uh, the the horror comics kind of get legislated out of existence. This is Comic Codes um, Authority stuff, right? Yeah, this is Comic Codes Authority stuff. Uh, there's also some stuff with, uh, you know, there's a book that came out. I think it's like, God, it's a super famous book. What is it called? Seduction of the Innocent or something oh, like that? Oh, is this, is this it, like the track chick stuff? Or the, the, the chick tracks. Chick tracks. Chick, what? Ch ch that's like, this is like the Jesus comic stuff, right? Like, chick, chick tracks are... Um, let me see if I can figure this out. Here, you, you keep talking, and I'll, and I'll, I'll come up with uh, an explanation, because I might have just, like, the wrong... Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, oh, okay, I'm right. So, Seduction of the Innocent is a book that basically warns that comic books were bad for kids, right? Um, mostly in, like, really sort of dumb, won't somebody think of the children ways, right? Um, so most superhero comics uh, have a resurgence in the 1960s because their competition kind of gets banned out of existence, right? Through the 1950s, most superhero comics get discontinued, right? So you lose that original Flash, that original Green Lantern, um, that original run of, uh, like the original Aquaman, for instance, is a, is a version of this, right? Um, but then in the 60s, when they bring these characters back, they bring them back with the same name but a new backstory, right? So this is how you go from Green Lantern Alan Scott, who's a railroad worker who takes a meteor, carves it into a lantern, and becomes the Green Lantern. It has a weakness to wood. Then you get Hal Jordan, who's an intergalactic space cop. The ring comes down. It's on a dying alien. The ring goes to him, and he becomes intergalactic space cop. Hal Jordan with a, or Green Lantern, with a weakness to yellow, right? It's the same name, two, two different versions of the characters, right? And they tend to be um, less mystical origins, right? And more like science-y origins? Or is that... Honestly, it tends to swap around, okay. right? Uh, so, for instance, the original, the Golden Age Aquaman is actually very sciencey Aquaman, which is that um, he's like Aquaman's dad. Uh, Aquaman's dad like does something. God, I can't even remember the the like the lore here. But it's like Aqua Aquaman is a truly half human, half Atlantean kid, whereas Silver Age Aquaman Arthur Curry has the you know the backstory that you know, which is 
an Atlantean and a human have a kid. The light, she falls in love with the lighthouse keeper, right? That kid is Aquaman. He is, he is, you know, sort of the lost king of Atlantis kind of thing. It's a very fantasy sort of yeah, um, origin story. But yeah, but yes, in a certain sense, you, that is true. A lot of the times, uh, things were very mystical. You know, you know, t- taking a lot from Pulp Fiction or whatever. Uh, but we're in the Atomic Age now, right? So there's a lot of like, you know. A lightning bolt hits a bunch of chemicals, and those chemicals hit Barry Allen, and Barry Allen gets super speed. That sort of yeah. Thing. So so this um, just, <clears throat> just to kind of close the loop because I like I confused different things. Chick tracks also come out right here. Chick tracks are basically like Jesus comics. They're like weirdly like anti-Catholic and anti-Mormon, and I think also anti-Jewish. Um, but like if you ever seen like <laughs> the panel that's like um, you know. Um, for they hated him for he told the truth or whatever. I think that's a chick track panel. <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> Blue Beetle's new incarnation is is Ted Cord. And Blue Beetle's incarnation is basically just a carbon copy of Batman. Um, but he eventually picks up a characterization that's a little bit different over the years, right? Um, this is where you get uh, Justice League International, right? Where in that book, Blue Beetle is just sort of the nerd. And he gets this sort of reputation as being Batman, but nerdy instead of cool, if that makes sense, right? Um, there's a lot of characters who are basically just Batman in this in this era. They have to find new ways to differentiate themselves. Um, so in the comics, Ted Kord uh, actually gets a pretty popular sort of run-in with that Justice League International run of comics. It's a pretty legendary run of comics. People cite it a lot as a really good one. Um, and mostly it's just like, these are just like really well-defined characters. They're kind of doing funny bits together. It's a pretty good ensemble, right? Uh, this is where you have Batman punching out Guy Gardner with one punch, right? Which is like a famous sort of meme in the comics community, right? Uh, this is where you get Booster Gold and Blue Beetle, who have a very, you know, who have a good relationship, kind of like a... I don't know, kind of like, uh, they, they just play off each other really well because, like, Booster Gold is kind of a fucking moron, and Ted Cord is really smart, but, like, Booster Gold is really charismatic and outgoing, and Ted Cord is, you know, kind of, like, introverted and quiet or whatever. They just have, like, they An have, like, good energy. Dynamic. Yeah, exactly. They have a great odd couple dynamic, right? Um... In Ted Kord just kind of lives in the background. He's a little bit like Doctor Strange in um, in Marvel comics, right? Something I've described about Doctor Strange is he really works best as kind of a side character in the universe who can pop up in other people's stories. And Ted Kord was doing a pretty similar thing, right? He was a member of the Justice League, which is like where he does great work, right? Um, as a guy in the ensemble rather than kind of carrying his own book. Though he did, in fact, carry his own book for a while. Um, in 2005, we get the run-up, or really 2003 to 2005, we get this run-up to Infinite Crisis, right? Which is a really monumental moment. And this is what I would consider, like, the mod- like the modern age of DC Comics and truly a great era of DC Comics, right? This is where I became a super fan, essentially, for all of this stuff. And in the run-up to Infinite Crisis, Ted Kord believes he's uncovered a conspiracy. Funnily enough, a conspiracy involving the mind-controlling supervillain Maxwell Lord, who will show up in Wonder Woman 1984, of all places. Um, 
Maxwell Lord, he's he's uncovering this conspiracy behind Maxwell Lord, um, and Ted Cord is trying so hard to convince people that Maxwell Lord is a bad guy, that he's actually been a superhero this whole time, and he's been fucking with all of us. But Maxwell Lord used to fund the Justice League, right? He's like a benevolent billionaire kind of character, right? Um, so the idea that he had these sinister undertones, you know, like no one was taking Ted Cord seriously, um, and uh, eventually. Ted Cord confronts Maxwell Lord and Maxwell Lord shoots him in the head. Uh, and so Ted Cord just fucking dies, right? Um, in the aftermath of that, uh, they f you, you they find out i think ted cord's laboratory blows up is what happens um and hidden in ted cord's laboratory is the blue beetle scarab that dan garrett originally bonded to in the golden age version of the characters and then the scarab uh it gets blown up it gets blown into el paso texas which is where jaime reyes lives and then ends up bonding with jaime reyes and more or less fo following the trajectory of the young justice version of the character right um the the one thing that's different about this version of blue beetle versus that version of blue beetle is that version of blue beetle has this um kind of dark relationship with the scarab where he's trying to be a good a good guy superhero right but the scarab is a you know like it is the agent of a conquering empire the reach right um and is trying to push him to do bad shit to be evil there's a a kind of there's some of that stuff in the blue beetle movie but for the most part that's not in the blue beetle movie but that's all over young justice right the the conflict with the reach is like the entire underpinning of the second season of that um of that show. Uh, and so this is really where Jaime Reyes comes from, which is actually kind of crazy because like he is truly a, a modern superhero. And I want to say the first modern superhero to get like a movie treatment like this, right? Um, mostly, you know, you're getting updated modern versions of the characters, but these are characters who are made in like the sixties, right? You know, the fifties, sixties, Batman, Superman, obviously these guys go like way, way, way back. Even if like, you know, some of the comics that, that are getting referenced in now times are also 2000s comics, right? So for instance, Man of Steel references a lot from a, super, a Superman comic called For Tomorrow that came out in this period of like the early 2000s written by Brian Azzarello with, El, uh, with art by Jim Lee or whatever. Um, Blue Beetle is a Jaime Reyes is a brand new character. This set of his powers, right, is a brand new character who was created in I want to say 2005 is when is when Infinite Crisis was coming out, basically. Um, and I think you know th there was always sort of a push. This is this is a bit of a misnomer. People think now. You know, like there's this like wokeification of this stuff. It's like, oh, well, we have to have a, you know, like a black transgender superhero or whatever. But the, but the reality is, people, this has been an ask that has been made of comic book creators and characters for a long, long time, right? The original John Stewart version of Green Lantern, Black Green Lantern, right? Um, he comes out in, I want to say the 1970s um, and is also part of this sort of like, oh, we want to do modern takes on characters and we're adding these like minority characters or whatever. Um, but I just think that nobody really touched or ended up touching kind of Latino characters uh, or characters with this kind of, you know, kind of like heritage and background until Jaime Reyes. Uh, and so he just became sort of the poster child of like, oh, you want to make the Latino superhero? You do Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle because that's that's who he is, right? Um, 
So yeah, that's like a really long the the really long version yeah, yeah. of the character history. No, I guess. no, that's that's interesting because I wonder how much like so there's this there's this thing that happens that tends to happen where it's like um, a lot of Hispanic Americans, especially like fair skinned ones, like by like the third generation in the states. No offense, you kind of fit this mold. Like effectively lose oh a lot of the Oh my god, markers. are you fucking white shaming me? I'm yeah, not no, white I agree. Shame. I'm not. I'm not shaming you. It's just, it's just true, <laughs> right? Like they, 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 they like um, probably probably partly because like you know don't particularly look different, right? Like it's hard. It's harder for an African American to like kind of whiteify because they don't look white. Um, uh, but like um, also there, there's uh, so I, I assume that that's got something to do with it, right? That like you know that that pressure kind of like falls off with with each generation. There's only been kind of like a a big push um, for that <laughs> recently with with, with the, with the increasing uh, number of, uh, of of people in the country, right? Like that's just like you know, um, of course, you know, obviously, black people have been around for a while in the United States. Yeah, I also think that um, you know. There's something to the quote unquote Latino experience that is like, or like on a cultural narrative level, right? That took or takes some time to sort of generate, right? So, for instance, when I think of like an Italian American, right? The Sopranos would actually reference this. Like, the Italian American immigrant narrative is something that's like a powerful cultural force in the kinds of communities that you and I grew up in in central New Jersey, right? Um, And I feel like it also took a certain amount of time for that version of like the latino american immigrant story to crystallize and it probably crystallized and like and blue beetle is sort of a cultural force in that direction right in the sense that you know this stuff with his family this is the truest stuff to the blue beetle character right which we kind of just missed entirely in the young justice stuff that i was talking about all of the blue beetle side of that was was pretty you know comics accurate but they don't do anything with the um they don't do anything with like the family side of the of the character because it's about him as a member of the team and the reach is the bad guy that the team is fighting. This movie is is all about the family, right? right? Um, and his you know and his relationship with his you know kind of uh, immigrant dad. Uh, they're they're illegal immigrants, right? Um, you know all of that stuff. I feel like it's part of the kind of overall. Latino immigrant myth, if that makes sense. Um, myth makes it sound like, but narrative, right? You know, like the story that these immigrant families tell themselves about, you know, their their family history, basically. Um, which is probably why I guess it ends up resonating with South, with you know, Latino families in South Central Los Angeles who literally packed. I couldn't believe this. I. I I, it was maybe 8 p.m. on Sunday on on the movie's second weekend, and I was looking for, like, the latest showing at the movie theaters near me. I was like, show me these 10 p.m. showings. And every theater I was looking at, I was like, this thing is packed. Like, 90% of the, t- the seats are filled. Or, or full, right? Um, which is just, I don't know. I just, that, that, it was, that, was, that was crazy to me. <laughs> no, so, 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 yeah. You know, I... Maybe this is like a thing that is more true than I, than I want it to be. My theater in New Hampshire on opening weekend, pretty dead. Um, <laughs> granted, it, granted, it was like eleven thirty in the morning, so maybe it was just it was the morning show. But like, sure. you, know, you know, it's it's like you know, because I have like you know, typically the superhero movies fill up pretty quickly on the yeah. on the opening weekend, right? Like, you know, um, but you know, that's. That's that's interesting. Um, uh, 
But yeah, no, um, yeah. Uh, but just to kind of like loop back into that, into that, into the, the question about the history a little bit more. Um, my biggest criticism of this movie, and this gets a little ticky tacky, so I'm not going to lean too hard on it. But like, I feel like the internal plotting of like the backstory stuff, like makes basically, um, not a lot of sense. Like if Dan Garrett had the scarab, why was it in the middle of a sphere that, What's her face was digging out of the middle of the desert, like directly before the story starts. Um, was that included in the? Was the, that was, was Dan, the opening scene? Get, oh, no, so Dan Garrett had the scarab in the movie. So Ted. So when they go into Ted Court's basement, somebody says, "I think I think it must be his daughter." Says that Dan Garrett bonded bonded with the scarab, but my dad only ever powered technology off it because he never bonded with him. Right. Hi, yeah. How did they have the scarab if it was in that concrete thing? Yeah. I never thought about that, but that, yeah. I mean, and the other, like, again, this is not super, super important because it doesn't really matter that much, right? But, like, like this last scene with, like, you know, the 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 kind of Terminator character, right, that um, that Sigourney Weaver, like, the, apparently, like... Carapax? Yeah, Carapax, right? Is, is this is this one of the? I actually it, really fucking love his name, Carapax. What a what a baller name for the supervillain. Is is, is is this a character from the comics or is this like a new mm -hmm. movie invention? Yeah, I mean, it, it, very minor character. Um, sure. Uh, but it is essentially. Well, I don't want to say essentially the same thing. Carapax is a character. He he is mostly a villain of um, the. He's sort of like. I don't even know the former he's like he's like he's sort of like the the joker to like ted cord's blue beetle right okay. like his first big kind of named villain it makes plenty of sense that they went for carapax on this one um and uh to my knowledge i don't actually ever think carapax even fought jaime. jaime reyes i haven't read all of those comics right um i've read like the first 10 issues and then keith giffen handed it off and so um, you know, I kind of moved on or whatever, but I do vaguely know that Carapax is like basically, you know, like a minor villain who's connected to Blue Beetle and does that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, the, the reason I brought him up was, is that like, we get like a flashback of his story, which I like, maybe it makes sense, but I just, maybe I just didn't quite follow it, but it's like, you know, Sigourney Weaver, like, is like maybe running like a child soldier program and like takes him out of it but then it also turns out that she killed his parents but like he doesn't remember or that just like was like a weird coincidence like i and like you know the and the blue the scarab breathes this out of his memories and then plays it back to him so he can remember this even though he did like like what was your read on that scene because it was like i was just kind of like what um, I, um, this is, oh God, I don't know. This is sort of like my Oppenheimer thing where like nobody knows the history of the nuclear bomb in World War II, right? And so we're kind of drawing these moralistic conclusions without really thinking about it in like truly historiographical terms, sure. right? You know, the, the argument there was the nuclear bombs are not a discrete thing. They are a part of a massive war effort and if there is some rubicon right if there's some atrocities rubicon that is crossed it got crossed probably before the war even started in the 1930s right sure. the whole world was submerged in total war right and the only reason you get that is if you have sort of a 
historian's eye view of sort of the war, which is not congruent with the popular cultural, let's say, view of what World War II sort of looks like, right? Um, or even just history in general looks like. And the same sort of thing is happening. I had just happened to go deep on this because I found a historian on YouTube who made a two-hour-long video about the Iran-Contra affair, right? Where he goes into excruciating detail about how sort of the Reagan administration was you know, dealing with uh, right-wing, left-wing kind of turmoil in Central and South America during, like, during this time. And it's just like, it's, it's like everything. When you look into it, it's just so much less, I don't know, Nothing's like narrativized ever... yeah, than yeah. like the common conception, right? You know, because the common conception matches what what gets what happens in the movie, right? Um, where you have like gorillas in the jungle who are you know doing who are like doing whatever and like rebelling against the government, and the United States is is running bombing campaigns or whatever. Like that seemed to be the case. None of that. It's it. it I don't, I don't want to say none of that happened, but it didn't happen in that way. Absolutely not. Right. Sure. You know, there's there. And, uh, and so I was just caught up on that piece of the puzzle. I was just like, Oh God, this is not, this is not how history works. You guys. It's not like there were, there were not Congress passed a law. Oh God. It's like, uh, I'm so mad. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. The, I felt like, so let's, let's put the, 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 the veracity, the fidelity of, the fictional history to the real history to the side for a second, right? Sure. Yeah, interesting, absolutely. Interesting that you bring this up because I also just finished season three of The Boys, which has this in it too. Um, oh, yes, true. That also, <laughs> yeah, that also references this. I mean, the part, uh, it doesn't matter. The, 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 the part, that, the thing that happens in the movie, right, in the, in the world of the movie is an American bomber plane drops bombs in, he's from Guatemala, right? Drops bombs in Guatemala. One of those bombs kills his mother, and he is adopted into an anti-communist guerrilla insurgency where he is sort of trained as a child soldier into this war, you know, like into this war machine, which will eventually, you know, get, he will eventually kind of get like recruited into Victoria Cord's shit. And, and and he becomes care and he will eventually become Carapax, right? Um, oh god, I, I just having to explain that like does psychic damage but, to me. <laughs> but, so, so the part that like you know, if he had just seen like cord arms on the bomb, right? Like like the Maximov or the you know like 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 you know the yeah the oh twins. right yeah where they saw Stark Industries on the yeah. on the dud missile that right like yeah. maybe if he suddenly remembers and that. can I just say I, I have to but she's there Sigourney Weaver is like there when his parents die isn't she like isn't that part of the flashback am I like well she's with she well, so okay that is part of the flashback my reading of the flashback was she was with the right the fascists essentially right wait, wait but like. So, so the part that the only way this makes sense to me, right, is like she is there and she just happens to be there, right? Like she happens to be part of this, and then he happens to like, like he gets pulled into this army and he just like forgets because there's a bunch of time in between when they bomb his parents and when she is the face that turns him into Carapax, right? Like, 
But, like, what it seems to imply is that, like, you know, she killed his parents, drafted him into this army, and then eventually turns him into Carapax, and he just forgets, right? Like, like so the only way it makes sense is if, if like, there's a piece in the middle where, like, he, like, jo- like he bomb- they bomb his parents, he happens to join this child guerrilla, you know, he happens to become a child soldier, like, impressed by the anti-communist guerrillas, right? Like, and then she happens to take it over, or happens to find his, like, broken body at some point and like it's like oh here's a you know half dead contra i will turn him into a machine and that's just a coincidence right like maybe i'm missing a step here but like it it, like it just like kind of doesn't make sense and it doesn't matter so much right like i'm not that mad about it but like the more i think about it the less sense it makes to me right like the like the, the the aspects don't make sense is that like it's just like how he like apparently he just didn't remember any of it right because he says now i remember right like well so i i actually don't that's not actually my read yeah so that is not my that is my read on most of this right um was um it's not that he forgot. It's that he was convinced. This is the weakest part of the movie to me. Okay. And this is part of why I say it feels like a Marvel movie, right? The Flash had an interesting ethical point to make, right? It was trying to talk about, right, like, sometimes you can't fix it. You just have to accept that bad things happen. And that's okay. And you have to get over it kind of thing, right? It's it's this story about, like, loss and sorrow or whatever. And I think... and I. I was all on board. A lot of why I liked The Flash was because of this kind of theming underpinning it, right? In the same way that a lot of why I liked Spider-Verse is this kind of the opposite version of that theming, right? Which is that, like, you don't have to accept things the way they are. You can be the force for change, right, that you see in, in the world, all this other sort of stuff, right? My thing with Blue Beetle, Blue Beetle is doing, like, first grade book report theming, right? Which is family good, Okay. Like our favorite movie series. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? Well, actually, I wouldn't even say it is like our favorite movie series because, like, not that I want to pretend the family subtext of Fast and Furious is, like, really smart, but it's going for a different vein of this, right? You know, that one is about found family, right? And having this kind of undying loyalty to the important people in in your, you know, in your life and kind of the strength that their diversity kind of adds to you and yours, right? This is a very true version of family, which is like your mom and sisters and grandma and dad, right? Um, And uh, and I think that Carapax was essentially making the argument, you need to toss that shit aside, Right. Family sure. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is getting cool robot parts, I guess. Um, and well, he, I, you know, he, because he steps on a landmine, he gets blown up, but he gets these cool robot parts, but they fuck him up and he sucks at them and it hurts him or whatever. And he's just like in the sunk cost fallacy. Right. And it is Jaime at the very end of the movie who kind of shows him, you know what, buddy, you really should have just thought about your family the whole time. And Carapax was like, ah, why didn't I think about my family? And then he decides to you know kill victoria because she's a huge piece of shit okay 
Maybe, Is that accurate? Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I, I buy that. No, and, and like you know, I, I get it, right? Like, there's, there's been a lot of like what I will roughly call like anti-stoic movies, right? Like, it's not, it's not that cool. Raw, but parts are great. It's that like you know your emotional investment is it stopping you from achieving your your full potential, right? And like the. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you <can> <laughs> in the chat goes, have you considered Get Cool Robot Parts Manga? <laughs> That's actually really funny. That's a really good joke. <laughs> Socrates, you know, walking into the, you know, the Parthenon about to argue philosophy with, with Aristotle and Plato or whatever. Have you considered Get Cool Robot Parts? Yeah, yeah. It's like instead of the Stoics, we get, we get the you know the transhumanists, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But in in ancient Greek, oh god, holy fuck! Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> this is kind of what I mean by you know like book report. Like I actually was probably more actually. Yeah, I was more into Carapax as a character when he was just a fucking bad guy. One of the things I actually liked about this movie, Victoria Court is just a huge dick for right. no fucking reason. And the story doesn't give her a tragic backstory. It doesn't do the Thanos thing or like the Magneto thing where it gives her like a point, even if she's taking it too far. It's like, no, she's just like a fucking greedy corporate bitch yeah. and she's mad about it and like is just like and the worst person. In fact, they kind of give her like an anti like back like it's you know it's like and they gave it to ted right and and like i was like that's kind of sexist and then she's like well turns out his dad was right (laughs) (laughs) exactly oh god i i that was that was probably one of the things that props up blue beetle a little for me i feel like a lot of these movies have just been missing characters like this for a long time you know this is like the sort of the sort of thanos problem that we've been you know uh i've I've mentioned kind of before or whatever um carapax getting kind of a last second tragic backstory is I also feel like he ruins it ruins the character. I just sort of like that he's this crazy corporate fucking goon, and he just says shit like, "Your family is weak. Why does this matter to him? It doesn't. You don't know until the very end of the movie, I guess. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I, I think there is. I don't know. Not th- just to like bring it back to kind of like the you know Latino Iron Man type of thing, right? Like there there is a kind of a theme of like shared latino heritage i guess is the easiest way to put it right that like yeah. that taps into right we also get this when uh um he's like you know when but the guy that 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 the victoria's racist to like sanchez who's like he's got like a long name that i don't remember right he's just like sanchez stop him right and he's like now i will stand up for myself right like you know it's kind of like you know that that's kind of like one of the, and, and i guess that's like what they were trying to tap into is like you know, Carapax is also Latino, and so he's a good guy. Yeah, like he's also being exploited by, you know, white woman Karen, the supervillain, I guess. Like, yeah. Even, you know, even Jenny Cord <laughs> gets to be Brazilian. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was like, is Ted Cord like fucking Brazilian models in this universe? Because damn, he is getting it in, apparently. You know? <laughs> Actually, I, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking that too far. This is a really great... This is a really great piece of backstory that I do want to talk about. Um, that I don't know if they are going for. Um... 
but um, there is a character in the that run of comics whose name is Fire, right? Uh, she is like... I want to say part. she's part of a thing. This is the Justice League International days. She's part of a thing. She's part of the international version of this. Her name is Beatrice, Beatrice or something like that. Um, her and Ice um, are like, inter like truly international people brought into the, yeah, Lou gets it, brought into the, like into the comics. Um, B is from Brazil. Um, and Ice is from Norway, I want to say. Uh, Ice so ends up hooking up Ice, with Guy Gardner. Ice is a superhero. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, Ice is a superhero. Fire is a superhero, okay, right? Okay, um, yeah. She is like green hair. Uh, she makes green fire or whatever is, is her whole thing. I think the implication is that Ted and Fire had a kid, and that's who Jenny Cord is. This might even be in the comics. This might even be in the in the lore, and I don't know this piece of the lore super well. Um, but yeah, it is like it. I actually do think, as much as I'm memeing about ever, all of the good guys get to be Latino, all the bad guys are white, um, or the big bad guy is is like is white. Uh, but fire absolutely is a, I don't know. An important, an important kind of like piece of the, of the mythos and the character and you know part of what she's, okay. part of what is happening is, related to that. I'm pretty sure it's a nod to that, I guess, because specifically because of the thing that Jenny says about, um, Ted, her, about how her mom convinced Ted to like be a good guy or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I so a quick, a quick Google search indicates that Jenny Cord is an original character for the movie. So, okay. um, you know, she's not a long running character or anything, but yeah, I mean that I, I will admit that I, I kind of went the same way as like Ted Cord isn't Brazilian is, is he's like, oh yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, that was, uh, it was, <sighs> I don't know. Sigourney Weaver being like sci-fi woman worked, right? Just because. That's like the role that she always plays, right? Like, um, I don't know. I didn't think George Lopez was. Wait, funny. I'm sorry. That was not Sigourney Weaver. That was Susan Sarandon, right? Wait, really? Am I? Am I? Am I like? <laughs> You're 100. percent well, It is Susan Sarandon. <laughs> it's funny that you thought. I guess she looks like Sigourney Weaver, right? Let me. Let me. Uh, yeah, I. I am maybe just wrong. What? Why did I think she was Sigourney Weaver? You know, they just look really similar. Hold on. I'm not aware of B and Ted uh, being a thing like ever. Maybe it's Bea, and I just like never thought about it. Uh, but and now I'm going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, I also and like I know Ice and, and Guy Gardner obviously are a thing, and there's also this weird sort of like double bromance happening because Fire and Ice obviously have a connection and um, and Booster Beetle uh, or Booster Gold and Blue Beetle have like a connection. Um, and uh, and so they kind of get like mirrored in a way. You sort of have this like I don't know. It's it's complicated, right? But I'm pretty sure the implication they're going for is that is that Jenny Cord's mom is is fire. Yeah, uh, uh, that makes that makes sense. Rachel says in the chat, "Didn't you ask Scorny Weaver earlier in the podcast?" Yes, 
I guess I just like looked at her and was like, oh, she's getting a lot of work between Avatar and this movie. <laughs> I actually looked up as Susan Sarandon, Sigourney Weaver, and Susan Sarandon and Sigourney Weaver confirmed that they get mistaken for each other all the time, okay. uh, which includes a an article from 2016 where Susan Sarandon... Um, uh, won an award. She collected uh, an award. She collects what? What is this? Glamour Woman of the Year awards. And in her acceptance speech, she confirmed she was not supporting. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> so you know, I'm not. I'm not totally off base. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Oh man. So what? What did you think of Rudy George Lopez? Oh, you know. I thought he was fun. Like, he was maybe my favorite part of the movie just because, like... Really? Just because, like, I mean, you know, he's like the crazy anti-government guy. So, you know, obviously that's got some particular appeal to me. Um, but um, also, like, he felt like he was hamming it up. And also, like, it's like a unique... Like, everything else about this movie was so by the numbers that, like... You know, the crazy, wacky uncle at least had a little bit of personality to him. Right? They tried to do the same thing with the grandmother, but it was like, I feel like it was a little too little too late. But, you know, um, yeah, I, I, he was my, he was by personally my favorite part of the movie. But, you know. Okay. Thanks. My favorite part of the movie, and this is part of why I'm weirdly biased, it was uh, Alberto, was uh, Jaime Reyes' dad. He just gives the most, it's like the most sincere. Per, like tragic performance and then they killed him that was the thing that that got me i couldn't i couldn't believe it and this is kind of the turning point of when i really turned on i actually quite liked the fight uh this, this, is, this is the other thing is that i thought the action was actually pretty good in this one um blue beetle and omac or carapax you know have have a fight where um you know they're sort of doing the you know the 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 early villain sort of fight thing um and at first i was kind of like this is going to suck blue beetle is so much more powerful than this guy but that actually kind of ended up being the point and carapax also kicked his ass which i was like damn that's actually kind of cool and this was sort of like a stakes raising moment for me right it's sort of um you know um i don't know it's like when when ocean master beats Aquaman early in that or like early in that movie right it's just like it's the moment in the movie where the hero isn't isn't doing as great as you think they are kind of thing um we've also been in, like through 50 minutes of just kind of like rote superhero bullshit that I was just like god like give me something new and better and I was expecting what I was expecting to happen was Blue Beetle was gonna like beat Carapax's ass because his gear looked really jank or whatever which was part of the point obviously right. um and I was like, oh, this is going to set up Carapax for later. He's going to get this crazy upgrade. He's going to go super hard. All of that happened, but it just also included Carapax, like, beating Blue Beetle half to death, right? Um, uh, and needing his family to bail him out, which was which was all I'm on board for, right? Um, but then they do the thing where his dad dies. And I was like, holy fuck, they killed the dad. That is intense. Like, that, you know, you expect in a superhero movie for the parent to die early on, right? Uncle Ben dies. That's like act one stuff, yeah. basically, right? Um, or like, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents die, right? Like, that's act one stuff kind of thing. Um, to have him die kind of at the end of act two and really like set up this sort of like 
uh, really brutal back half of the uh, of the movie. This is part of what turned it around, and a lot of that was just wrote on the fact that I just like. I don't know. For, he first of all, he looks like my dad. But second of all, I just really connected to that guy and his like sincerity and like when other people were talking about family, it was like okay, I'm watching like a triple A, you know, or not a triple A game, a um, uh, like a blockbuster Hollywood movie studio, right? Kind of like pander to this or whatever. But like that guy was talking about family, and I was like, he fucking believes it, you know? Yeah, buddy, gotta, buddy, gotta unpack that one in therapy later. Listen, <laughs> you know. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, and then when they go and they're doing the thing uh with the you know with the the robot that they get out of ted cord's thing like all that stuff i was just like yes i'm on board for this sort of thing um in a way that i wasn't with other movies that kind of introduced this sort of element like later on like i would say shazam is a good is a good um example of right where the back the final piece of that movie has the power getting spread to all the other kids right um but that that moment is like cool in sort of like a spectacle sense or whatever but it doesn't really feel like super earned in a way this is a movie where i felt like this was more earned right uh for the family to help him out because they were they were helping him out the entire yeah. time right he was with them the entire time it's not like he was taking a break from his family to go do superhero shit his family was intimately involved in the superhero shit all the way you know all the way there um and had kind of demonstrated you know competence i guess i would say in sort of like being part of the superheroics um in that you know yeah yeah no that uh that makes that makes sense yeah no i i definitely feel that i also thought it was they, they did kind of like the you know like his dad dying breaks his sister in a way because like she's like you know the too cool for school character up until that happens um and it really kind of like you know like put some dimension to the characters like you know it, it, it's also when like basically the rest of the cast kind of gets like good big big kind of like humanizing moments and they kind of like get a third dimension when they've kind of been flat up until that point so i agree with you on that um i was kind of disappointed though because at at the end of the movie when like um when they get rudy a new car i kind of expect i fully expected victoria or no jenny cord to be like you know, the company appreciates your genius. We'd like you to be an engineer at Cord Industries or something like that, right? And that just didn't happen. Like, I, I, I was so surprised that, that didn't happen. I also thought that was going to happen, but, you know, I don't know. Jenny's moving on up, and she's yeah. not taking the, the, the body with her, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I guess a question about setting is, like, this city supposed to be like just like on like the, like on on the the edge keys is that like just like the what is, this is not real in in the comics he's from El Paso he's okay. just from El Paso Texas right um, not even that like El Paso is all that big right um, El Paso just happens to be on the border and it's El Paso and Juarez right yeah um, West you know like the it is the truce of West West Texas is it a big city I guess it's a pretty big city half a million people the 22nd most populous city in the United States yeah, that's yeah pretty, and that's it's pretty got fair. it's got a brand of taco shells associated with it um, um Old El Paso Palmera City is a it's obviously supposed to be supposed to kind of be like um Miami Right, it's supposed to have Miami vibes, but I assumed it was supposed to be like, maybe like across the bridge from like where the keys like enter the, you know, like there's I don't know if you're familiar with like the Florida Keys, but there's a bridge that goes. Yeah, there's from, the the big bridge of the causeway or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, like, that was my guess as to what it was supposed to be. Like, again, obviously it's supposed to be actually Miami because that's, like, what Miami is to Miami Beach. Um, uh, the uh, south part of Florida is a real funny-looking place. Uh, is there, a, is there a, a, like, I obviously know of Key West. They have an airport. They do have an There's airport. There's a tiny little airport all the way at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, because Key West is all is is the all the way to the end, right? And then there's Key Largo, which is the other famous one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. North Key Largo is uh, I'm looking at Google Maps right now. Um, is uh, north end of the island. Um, Key West is like okay. the tiny little piece of the end, and then there's other keys that don't have roads to it. Um, interesting place, but like I, I yeah. Uh, so Palmyra City isn't like a thing from from the comics at all. Yeah, I looked it up just now, and apparently Palmyra City was uh, invented for the movie, which is, I guess, interesting. But it, it is uh, the reverse Shazam, right? The Shazam movie took the characters out of a fictional city faucet uh, and put them in Philadelphia. Uh, this is a reversal of that, where they created Palmyra City, which it does feel like it's supposed to be Florida. Um, Rachel and Sat says it's supposed to be Kokomo. Are you just making like this? Is I think Rachel's just trying to farm bits. Yeah. I think Rachel heard us laugh so fucking hard at that earlier thing, and so she's just trying to like replicate that success. You're forcing it. You're trying too hard. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's a Beach Boys riff. Is Kokomo even like a real place? Kokomo is not a real place, right? Isn't that real? Isn't that uh, uh, a, a Utopian Island off the coast of Florida, uh, off the Florida Keys? So. Yeah, I, you know yeah, what? Yeah, the she, fictional that, that Kokomo. Is actually, yeah. So that that is a, a <laughs> decent joke. Okay, you know what? You know what? That is a decent joke. I take it back. You, you're still you're still flinging fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. <laughs> oh man, that would. I'm just imagining like is, is he. No, he's dead, isn't he? Right. I'm just imagining Ted Cord being played by Brian Wilson. It's like a joke. No, it's uh, oh, he's still alive. Never mind. Um, Brian Wilson is, is he still alive? Yeah. Um, he's uh, you know, the Beach Boys, funnily enough, were founded in Hawthorne, where I live. Really? Uh, there is a monument, and also there is a really old pizzeria that says the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys used to play here. Um, there's a, there's another guy from the Beach Boys though who's a huge dick that everybody hates. Is there? I know like I know Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson, yeah, is like considered like a is like is like the genius, right? Uh, but there's like it's just another guy who oh no, the Beach Boys. Let's find. Yeah, when I like you know I I got introduced to kind of this by by the Bare Naked Lady song Brian Wilson. Um, uh, uh, it's like kind of like the it's like. It's funny to me that like the, like the Beach Boys, I always assume were just kind of like some like airhead pop thing, right? That like it's like a, I guess there's a lot here that people care about. Um, oh man, yeah, Mike Love is his name. Was another was another. Mike Love is the guy. Everybody says that uh, the the beach the good stuff of the Beach Boys is Brian Wilson, um, and Brian Wilson was trying to like make real music right um and uh and that mike love was just like i just want to catch a page like mike love is sort of like uh 
but he's also apparently like a dick, right? He's kind of like Ringo. He's kind of like if, you know, like Brian Wilson is like John Lennon and um, Mike Love is like Ringo, but like also if Ringo was like a huge piece of shit. So like maybe Pete Best? Who's Pete Best? Pete Best was the original Beatles drummer. He rele- Really? Yeah, and he, he, he released an album called Best of the Beatles to kind of like cash in on it because <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't technically a lie because he was, he was, he was best of the Beatles. Um, I actually did not know. Um, although, this obviously, this, this Mike Love sounds like he was with the Beatles for a lot longer um, uh, than, than Pete Best was. Cause Pete Best exits pretty early, right? Because, like, obviously, Ringo's iconic in his own ways. Um, just, yeah. Yeah, Mike Love's been there the whole time. I'm looking at my, – my favorite part of Wikipedia pages about bands is, like, the timeline at the bottom that shows, like, which members came and, and, and left uh, when – um, like uh, Blondie Chaplin was apparently part of the Beach Boys for a very short period between 1970 and 1975 also Rakeef Fittar um, fun things you can do if you're bored at home look at Wikipedia pages for bands yeah so now we're at an hour and I guess we're done talking about there's honestly just like not a ton to talk yeah, about yeah I mean we spent most of this talking about the, the, the Blue Beetle um, yeah, the one thing I do want to mention is that the action is cool. The final fight scene with Carapax is sweet. I really loved it. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that is uniquely Blue Beetle, like the staples. Uh, I was I had no idea if they were going to do the staple gun, right? Um, but he uses the staple gun in a couple of spots, including his final beatdown of Carapax, where he kicks Carapax's ass and then staples him to the to the ground. Uh, so you can just like wail on him or whatever. And I was just like, this is sweet. I this is the kind of stuff that I'm here for. Um, so that found that, you know, that was fun, uh, I guess, or whatever. Uh, but really, it's just sort of like the anime, you know, fight scene of it where it's just like getting two people with superpowers to clash in unique and compelling ways is just a good time, right? Um, in their first fight, there's this whole thing with a car that's great. Um, and their second fight, you know, they're obviously in this, like, I don't know, like, Cuban, eight, like, like 17th century, like, Spanish fort sort of thing. Um, so there's just, like, interesting stuff to, like, blast one another through. Um, and just all of that was was great, and I loved it. Uh, and I kind of feel like this has been a while since I've said this about uh, a superhero movie. I feel like a lot of superhero movies have just had not good action for, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. On the other hand, thought it was dumb when the beetle farted. But, you know. Oh, yes. I also thought that was dumb. I liked the Beatles scene basically up until that moment, yeah. to be no, honest. I, I would agree. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. They could have just not called it a fart, and I think I would have loved it. They would have been perfect 10 out of 10. You know? Like, it's yeah. <laughs> <is> my one note. <laughs> yeah, well, that was Blue Beetle. It was all right. Um. <laughs> Okay, well, tell me about your week. Uh, obviously, we've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. Is Baldur's yeah. Gate like the highlight of your two weeks? Or yeah, I, so let's. I'll shelf that for a second since well, I assume we'll finish up the podcast with it. Um, okay, sure. Things to highlight: I dipped briefly into Armored Core Six, um, just because I wanted to. Um, I played like the first level. I was like, "This is neat." I'll get to it after I'm done with Baldur's Gate, um, and so I put it back on the shelf. But it is a neat game. Um, I finished The Boys, um, which was... How did you like season three? Um, 
I had heard that they did Huey dirty, and I thought they actually handled him pretty all right, right? Like, you know, I get, like, you know, like, you know, what was the, the criticism I heard online was, like, they, they like, you know, they turned Huey into something, like, I heard the word incel thrown around, and it's like, yeah, he's just kind of, like, it's like, I think it's a relatively reasonable thing for him to be, like, I don't like feeling weak, right? Um, the temp V thing I thought was a little contrived, just because, like, at what point do they not just take regular V? Um, right? Like, um, oh, sorry, spoilers for the boys. Um, you know, uh, if you're planning on watching. Yeah, it. there's some stuff I guess I would say, uh, I don't, we, we should probably do a boys episode, maybe yeah. like before season four or whatever. Um, I do like the boys, uh, and I, but I've always sort of said, no thoughts, head empty kind of thing. But the third season actually tries a little bit which I was okay with. Um, it's doing some, it's kind of brewing, you know, but there's some stuff bubbling there, uh, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, but, but, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, so I also, I thought they did Huey Dirty, but in a completely different way. Um, in sort of a, do you, you, okay, maybe a, a good example would be Arrested Development. You, you've watched Arrested Development? Uh, first two seasons, a long, long did time. You, you, oh, you never watched the, the Netflix season? No. Okay, so the Netflix season, people famously hate it, and it is bad. Um, but the thing with Arrested Development, in my opinion, um, is that it loses sight of the core premise, right? This is the kind of thing that will sometimes happen with, like, sitcoms or whatever. Um, in Arrested Development, Michael plays, uh, or Jason Bateman plays Michael, and Michael is the straight man surrounded by the kooky family, right? Everybody else are doing bits, they're doing jokes, they're kooky, they're weird. Michael is just a normal guy you know, and he still gets punchlines, but he gets punchlines like, you know, well, I don't know what I was expecting when he opens up the, the thing, dead dove, you know, yeah. <laughs> dead dove do not open. Then he opens it and he just kind of like recoils a little bit. It's like he is not kooky. He is normal, but he's making the, the punchline out of being normal surrounded by kooky, essentially. Right. The unfortunate thing about Arrested Development is that in the Netflix season, they made Michael kooky, which sucked. Um, when Michael is a normal guy surrounded by the funny, it works when he is, um, just when he gets submerged in funny, the whole thing is rudderless and you lose it. And the magic of Arrested Development is gone. The same thing I felt like happened in the boys with Huey's optimism and altruism. Huey kind of needs to be the boy scout Superman in the room because everybody else is depraved and fucked up right i think the thing that makes the boys kind of work is that push pull right and that push pull is definitely there in season three i'm not saying it's bad or whatever um but huey dips into darkness in the in the season in a way that i felt kind of ruined it and for the time in which he was so willing to be evil or not evil but just like morally compromised it sort of just ruined the, you know, like that's kind of, I don't know. I kind of thought it pulled itself together in the end. I think it's doing some interesting stuff. We'll see where it goes kind of thing. Um, but um, yeah, oh, the boys also has an issue with stakes that bugs me, which is that it constantly throws out things that are important and then just dismisses them with a line later on. And I understand why it's doing that, because you kind of can't keep holding the gun to someone's head um, without firing it or without them, you know, like 
breaking the gun, I guess in this in this metaphor or whatever. But in a in a show that works entirely off of like the logic of pessimistic cynical blackmail as the only way to convince someone to do what you want it disposes with that blackmail really effortlessly in a way that really bothers me on a narrative level um i don't know maybe maybe that's our boys podcast those are my those are my thoughts about the boys that makes sense i would say like in a much more general sense um my girlfriend and i both thought that like season three had like less cringy moments right like like the like i think the last time we talked about this i said that like i could tell which parts were written new and which parts were old because they were either edgy bullshit from this year or edgy bullshit from like 2008 right yeah like, sure um and it felt like there were a lot less of that, those moments but i also i also felt the, the the kind of overall plot plot was less strong um uh although like so i i think i agree with you that it's got some interesting things happening um but uh you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll see where it goes um yeah i also just might be like ideologically poisoned against the boys at this point um you know it's just kind of like doing a thing that i don't have a lot of patience for part of this is the same thing right with like the nicaragua you know stuff in like blue beetle or whatever they have a very similar sort of you know like again the reason i'm not even gonna go into this The reason Iran-Contra is a thing is because Congress passed laws that said that we couldn't interfere with with Central America, right? Um, And there were not... uh, Anyway, whatever. It's fine. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to let this bother me. No, I mean, I I think ultimately it's trying to do a poorer version of, like, and if we had Dr. Manhattan, we just would have fucking owned in Vietnam, right? Like, you know... um, which was, I think, a, a much more considered version of this. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, it just yeah, uh, that, that's fair. It just um, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you ignore yeah. the history and just treat it as a mechanism for which Soldier Boy gets kidnapped because everybody fucking hates him, right? Like, um, uh, you know, that's I I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I did love Soldier Boy. Uh, I think Jensen Eccles is his name. He does a great job with that part, to be honest with you. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that makes the boys really satisfying is the Lex Luthor teaming up with Superman thing. This is one of my favorite tropes in all of existence, right? It is give Lex Luthor and Superman a reason to work together. I love it. I want to see it in everything. You put that in a fucking show or a movie or something like that. I am on board a gazillion percent, right? Just because, like, how great is it to to force, you know, the hero and the villain to team up against a greater, a greater threat? And they've sort of done this kind of, not quite, kind of twice in a row um, with the season two bad guy and the season three bad guy or whatever, but God, it's just so satisfying to watch. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, funnily enough, I saw Carl Urban in an ad for Armored Girl 6, and I was just like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> like, right after we finished The Boys, too, so. Um, yeah, I mean, The Boys came to Call of Duty or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that a little bit, you know, like, yeah, yeah, they're coming to Call of Duty because of Fortnite. I I think that's exa- essentially what's happening. Fortnite has realized that, like, IP is king, and so just every Fortnite season is, oh, what what is the pop cultural moment about? Oh, uh, yeah, sure, we'll do a Fortnite skin for, you know, Black Adam or Aquaman or, you know, whatever else kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So... 
Moving away from the boys, I finished my, or with my girlfriend, we finished our rewatch of Community, her first watch, my re- first re- my rewatch. Um, still a great show. Sixth season is really weird. Um, like, you know, they get, like, out there with it, which is fine. And it's a fun, it's a fun show, and I, and I appreciate it. But, um, you know, uh, I am looking forward to the movie. Um, don't know if I have much else to say about it other than it's great. And uh, I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, and then the other show I want to talk about, which I know Lou in the audience has seen, um, I have, my girlfriend has got me watching Outlander, which may be the schlockiest show I have ever seen. Like, have you heard, do you know what Outlander is? Oh, I know all about Outlander. Oh, really? uh, I mean, I, I've, I haven't watched the show, uh, but yeah, Outlander is huge. Yeah, though no, it's like... The plots are like just so obvious, right? Like, um, fucking like, I we, I jump in on season four just because like it's playing on the television. I'm like, oh, what's 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 happening? Did someone say Sasnak? Yes, yes. Um, what's uh, Sasnak? Uh, that that is what Jamie calls um, his wife, uh, who is the main character, who I can't remember the proper name for. Now, oh, okay. Uh, because the fourth of the season are mostly in my mind about Bree and Roger, um, which is what I've been watching. Um, <laughs> Bree and Roger are Bree is so the people at home who don't know the show is about a woman who like manages to clips act- into the back rooms. Yeah, yeah basically <laughs> clips into the back rooms, which are Scotland in the past. Marries yeah. an Outlander, comes forward to the present, and spends twenty years. Um, becomes the present pregnant, spends 20 years in the present and becomes like the first woman doctor, then goes back in time to be back with her true love, Jamie. Um, and then her daughter follows her because she's afraid, like she finds like a newspaper clipping that they die in a house fire. Um, but the year, the year has been smudged. Uh, so they don't know what year it's going to be. Um, and, uh, and then Roger, who is her daughter's, not fit. Her, da- her daughter's boyfriend proposes to her. She says no. Then she runs to the past after her mother, and he follows her as like a as a faithful. This is so schlocky. Follows her as like a faithful guy. Finds her, but oh, so I have to tell you the thing that like gets me the most about this. There's this character, Stephen Bonnet. He is a villain, but he is like an accidental villain, and not in that like he doesn't do these things on purpose, and that like he doesn't realize he is the bane of these people's existence. Jamie, like, gets him off of, like, some crime, and then he robs them, right? This allows him to buy a ship. This ship is the ship that ferries Roger from Scotland to America. Okay, so, sorry, part I forgot to mention. Um, Jamie is, like, a Highlander. He fights in the Rebellion, and he gets, and uh, stuff happens, and eventually he gets a grant from England to go to North Carolina. They are in North Carolina now, in the New World. They fucking, like... Like they're do they're doing this historical thing. I turned to my girlfriend and was like, I bet they get to meet George Washington. Literally the next scene, George Washington shows up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um but anyway, so but the, the, the time traveling stones are in Scotland, um, or at least the ones they know about. They find another set in America's, but that's like not a thing that happens that's relevant yet. Um uh so Roger takes the ship to the new world, happens to be captained by this villain, Stephen Bonnet, right? Um, they, he gets to the place 
where he needs to meet his, his girlfriend, right? He finds his girlfriend. They get hand fast, just basically like temporary married, right? They get, they immediately get into a fight over the fact that he didn't, t- like he had found out that his, her parents had died and didn't tell her and she found out independently. Immediately gets into a fight and they separate, they, 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 they step apart. Stephen Bonnet, that like, so Stephen Bonnet is wearing Bree's mother's ring and she steps okay. into a tavern and says, where did you get that ring? I'd like to buy it off you. And he says, come with me into this room and we'll negotiate. Terrible things happen, right? Yeah. And like, nope, like, Bree doesn't know this, par- this person has robbed her parents. Um, then turns out, like, the, then Stephen Bonnet's like, Roger, who he doesn't know is related to Bree to, to Bri at all, right? Is like, you actually need to finish your service by coming with me to Philadelphia. So it seems like Roger has abandoned, like, his wife, right? Like, and she's like, oh, he, I argued with him and he went away. And they assume he's gone back to Scotland to go, to go home. Um, and so then this is like the whole plot of season four. It's fucking ridiculous. He comes back and is looking for her. And so his father has heard that someone has, has violated his daughter. Um, and this is like nobody talks. This is like a nobody talks plot, which is so, so infuriating. There is a woman. So when Bree is going to the New World, a man mm-hmm. randomly approaches her and is like, my daughter is going to be sold into slavery. Can you please take her on as a handmaid? And he, she does. This handmaid, Bree never tells this handmaid about any of this. So she just sees like her like talking to this dude and then hears that she gets violated. And so she assumes the person that she's talking to is the one that violated her, which is Roger, who is the good guy, right? They then see Roger trying to find the family. And she's like, that's the guy that violated your daughter. And so Jamie beats up Roger and sells him into slavery to the Mohawks. And like the whole back half of season four is them going and fixing that fucking problem. It is such a contrived and schlocky show, but I can't stop fucking watching it. (laughs) (laughs) What what attracts you to this contrived and schlocky show? Just... It's like, it's, it's like just pure, pure emotional drama, right? Like I'm seeing it and it's like, okay. how, it's like that classic formula where it's like, how do they resolve this? And it gets resolved usually within 10 minutes, but then they've like 10 minutes in the next episode, but they've introduced another hook that'll hook you into like the next episode, right? <laughs> you know, in the, in the hugely popular video that I've talked about a couple of times, Jenny Nicholson's review of the Vampire Diaries, which again, I've never seen. She talks about this phenomenon where the writers paint themselves into a corner and then go, oh, well, and just walk across the paint. <laughs> and I think that's the phenomenon that you're describing. Except yeah, it's based that's on like a series of hugely popular books. So it's not yeah. like, you know. The... <sighs> no, I understand. I, those books are, I have, oh, man, this is like. I don't even know how much I want to say. This is like a real deep dive topic for me. Those books are so culturally important, but I don't think people like really recognize how like like it's sort of like 50 shades of gray right. in a, in a sort of sense, right? Like the cultural or like Harry Potter, right? Like there is this there is this thing comes out, it is this like huge cultural moment. Outlander is that and 
it has bled into so many facets of sort of like modern American society. I actually feel like, oh my God, I don't even know how, how I feel like I could chart a path through so many things that relate back to Outlander <laughs> because it is sort of the thing about Outlander, I guess, is that it's this perfect encapsulation of, um, when was the book? God, I want to find when the book was published. Um, so while you look at it up, something I want to point out is just that like when I get told, like introduce the series with the time traveling part, I like start asking questions about like the time travel mechanics. And my girlfriend's like, I don't know. Who cares? She goes back in time and she loves the guy, right? It's like, oh, this is time travel story for women. They don't care about the fucking mechanics, right? They care about, like, the love story, right? Like, Yeah, so Outlander, uh, the first book, Outlander, is in 1991. But it's kind of the culmination. Like, the, the, the real version of this is that bodice rippers are a huge thing, yeah. right? Which are, you know, uh, the Outlander is just kind of like the gigabodice ripper, right? But I think the thing that's crazy about Outlander is I actually think that it has this kind of cultural footprint or like fingerprints on so much stuff, right? I have watched a bunch of like political content in the year of our Lord, 2023, right? Where I'm like, these people are just talking about Outlander, but they don't even fucking know about it, right? Like, um, do you know about, I don't even know, do I want to get into this? Do you know about like red pill podcasts? What, like, like, like how okay. how red pill are we this talking? Is the crazy, do you, like Fresh and Fit. Have you ever heard of Fresh and Fit? Is no. maybe the better or like? Okay. Oh my God! Holy fuck! Okay. I'm sorry. It's a side of the internet. I'm not going to spend too long in here. Don't look up any of this, please. God, save yourself. It's there's this whole side right, of the buddy. internet. I've seen everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opening up Pandora's box. You're going to be like, hmm, fresh and fit. What, what is that about? I swear to Christ, if you do look at the, this stuff up, please look at oh, anybody react. Like, there, even if you don't like, like, there are plenty of political streamers who talk about this stuff and they just clown on these guys and they deserve to be clowned on because they sure. are fucking morons. But essentially, the Red, Red Pill podcast are people who are typically making what we will colloquially call dating podcasts, right? So the idea is oh, it's you like, got to get like a couple Andrew, of people. Andrew Tate stuff? Uh, related. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, it, where the idea is if you are a guy and you're having trouble with women, right, you're going to come to one of these podcasts, right? And you're going to get some tips on how to, you know, whatever, get it in. You know, it is it is centered on male empowerment. This is the steel man version, centered on the kind of like male empowerment. Really what it is though is a delusional ideology like a delusional worldview ideology both at the same time that basically is talking about the most insane version of like masculinity and femininity you could possibly imagine, right? Where you know, it, it it is it is sort of um, I don't know. It's kind of like if you're an incel but you really want a bone, you become a red pill guy who like listens to these podcasts, and they have all this crazy terminology or whatever. Oh, but the so thing that they don't understand, who, like read the game and didn't understand that it was about hell hollow and unfulfilling, that was for the author. Yeah, well, so it's actually even worse than that because they have kind of um, like evolved the game they're not pickup artists right like the game is about pickup artistry right. and crazy as it is pickup artistry it makes more sense 
and is more is a more legitimate worldview than what the red pill sells. The red pill sells an ideology that says men naturally want to have multiple romantic relationships, right? So there's this fixation on there's this fixation. I can't believe I'm explaining this. There's this fixation on one-sided open relationships where you have multiple girlfriends, right? But they are all exclusive to you, right? And there's also all of this stuff about the kinds of relationships that you're in, which I'm not going to get super into, but just like incredibly insane shit about like what kinds of interactions you're essentially allowed to have with other men and other women, right? Um, if you've ever heard the term body count, it comes from this side of the internet. Body count being a euphemism for the, the number, number of persons, the no people. Yeah. Right. The idea is that you, as a, you are, your, your goal as in the red pill is to become a high value man because high value men operate on a different level of society than low value men. Who, what are some examples of high value men? You might think Jeff Bezos, who just, you know, married uh what no 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 not your faces no 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 you are what you are essentially looking for is when you become when you get into your 30s you want to be like a millionaire you want to have all this stuff or whatever and via the incredibly dubious and untrue logic of evolutionary psychology right you are going to have multiple girlfriends who are all in their 20s and they're all going to be virgins but you are also going to spend your 20s fucking you know as many women as you possibly can to rack up your body count because a, a high value man needs experience. Okay. You need to, you know, fuck 50 club girls in your twenties to understand what a trad wife looks like in your thirties. Okay. Ugh, stuff is so fucking mind boggling. Anyway, the thing is when they're talking about a high value man, they are talking about a bastardized version of outlander. They're talking about Jamie from Outlander because they're talking about the kind of guy that women want who is confident and decisive, doesn't take no for an answer, right? Maybe he blurs the lines on, you know, like on issues of consent. And this is why Red Pillars like hate feminists and all this other sort of stuff, right? But the thing is, what they're tapping into is that a real number of women actually have romantic and sexual fantasies that are essentially based on that archetype yeah. of guy and that guy is jamie from outlander right yeah. so, this is what i mean it's crazy to me and but like oh, it, oh, oh, i mean hey jamie has <sighs> at least <laughs> two no 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 okay so jamie jamie has a bastard <clears throat> jamie has a wife that he married while our main character is in the present that he then leaves to be with our, you know, his, his one true love. Um, I like to comment that Jamie is fucking liberal for his time period. Yeah, I mean, like he, he, like he doesn't like, you know, let his, like doesn't like, you know, yell at his wife for like being smart, right? Like, um, like, ha so the, th the thing about the show that like is is crazy. It's like the show is basically like, I can't. What what is this fucking character's name? Since I can't remember her name, Outlander. Main character. Uh, Claire. Claire. This, Claire. Okay. Um, the sass. This is the sassnock. No, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Claire is basically Forrest Gump, but for like you know the the early American period, right? Like she is. Okay. 
as of the last episode I am watching, she is trying to create penicillin 100 years before it happens, right? She is like, <laughs> she like is a doctor, like she's like the, she's the first doctor to graduate from, female doctor to graduate from Harvard. She goes back into the past and all the people are like, oh, that's nice woman, but the man doctor, he knows how to like blow smoke up your ass and like actually cure you, right? Um, and it's like, it's, it's like so much, it is, it is like so... It's like it, it's weird. It, it is kind of like that have it all like fantasy, right? It's like you can be a strong, empowered woman that still swoons in your strong man's arms, right? Like, um, and you know, I get why that's you know attractive to women, I guess. But you know, it's you know, like I said, honestly, I just re- I, lo- I the complicated thing is I love this stuff, right? This is part of my love of Titanic, right? I think. I have a huge love for stories that are essentially romances, but for women, right? Because I actually, I just really like the idea of those kinds of characters, right? Um, and uh, and I connect with those stories wholeheartedly. I, Outlander is a show I should go hard for. Um, and, uh, but it's just, it's just very, it's very interesting. Uh. <laughs> so Lou says for, I, I almost stopped watching Outlander and Claire chose Jamie over Frank I did not I have not watched the earlier season so I don't know this totally but um, just for context for you Frank is Jamie's husband in the present not Jamie Claire's husband in the oh. present um, which is the present's like the 70s um, or I guess the 50s when it starts um, and uh, Frank raises Brianna who is Jamie's biological daughter but with James, yeah, wow, okay, yeah, Woof. yeah, yeah. Um, like Frank is portrayed as like a good and honorable man that just like it didn't work out because, like Claire's actually in love with Jamie, um, and you know, it's because he's he's the Chad and Frank is the Beta. Don't you know? <laughs> he's a high value man, Mango. Oh my God. Yeah. In the books, he's apparently an ass, but in the show, he's just a good guy whose wife is a bitch. You think Claire is a bitch? Damn, Claire, 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 yeah, no, that, 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 that is, yeah, I, I agree with that, and my girlfriend does as well, is Claire's just kind of like, <gasps> oh my god, that's a, that's it, that's actually kind of scandalous, it's funny because, like, I also think a lot of these are almost definite, like, Fifty Shades of Grey is like this, right, like, that is a toxic relationship, if that relationship were real, everyone would say, don't marry him, he sucks, and they would be right, right? Uh, but that's not the fantasy, right? Yeah. The fantasy, a lot of the time, is about the toxic relationship. It is about having... Um, yeah, I, I, well, I would say that, like, Jane, Claire's, <laughs> Claire's not quite toxic, right? She's just kind of, yeah. like, Mary Sue-ish. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, like, you know, and so, like, gets to do what she wants to do, right? Like, um, And, like, part of this is, like, you know, well, they're all right for who, like, you know, they're all... It's weird because it's like they're not great people, but they are very good people for the time period, and you recognize it as that. It's like you know, you know, Jamie's kind of brutish, but you know, he's pretty good for somebody in like the early or you know the the, the late seventeen hundreds, I guess. Mm. Um, it's a weird show. I'm gonna keep watching. I'm I'm so unsurprised that your girlfriend got you to watch this show. Oh, God. I can't even believe they're making a show out of it, finally. Because, you know, like, it's funny how I, like, I learned about Outlander, I want to say, in high school. 
I think my girlfriend in high school read Outlander and was telling me all about it or whatever. And we just put the the seeds in my brain. I think I, I love writing these kinds of romantic leads. I think it's very fun. Um, but uh, like whenever I'm like fucking around and like RP stuff like that. Um, but uh, it's just. <laughs> so, oh, I, need to, <sighs> I need to watch the Baxter because like, uh, you know, oh, let me leave my husband who I've been through a literal war alongside and said she's pretty, pretty boy that I've known for like maybe months and fucked once. Like this is like the but this is like the typical rom com thing, right? Like you know, the Baxter is like the guy, like you know, um, uh, uh, Baxter. Oh my God! <laughs> she kept him hard. Me, you should approve. Is there something you would like to share with the class? <laughs> <laughs> That's too real. I, maybe one day we'll do. You know what we should do? We should do some derps after dark, and maybe I'll talk about this. <laughs> okay. That, that'll be our next April Fool's episode. That'll be our next April Fool's episode. Oh, my God. That's actually really funny. Mango, help me convince Buddy to write a romance novel. Rachel has been trying to convince me to write a romance novel for a long time. I actually theoretically wrote a romance novel last year with somebody, and I actually lost access to it. I don't have access to it anymore. I wrote 160,000 words with somebody else uh, over a six-month period, and I was just like, God damn, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to talk about Baldur's Gate or do you just want to punch out? I want to leave. Well, I want to leave on a good note. We don't we don't have to talk about my frustrations with Baldur's Gate and it's piddly level cap for for bitches, you know, for just losers. Level 12. What is wrong with you, Baldur's Gate? Honestly, my, my, I was so on all, for all of Saturday, we played Baldur's Gate. I was super into it. I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. We're like doing all these like quests or whatever. Sunday, I was just like really not feeling it. And, um, part of it is that it was just other stuff, like work stuff, but, um, uh, part of it was just like, God, it sucks not like knowing that you're at that you're like at the cap that you're at like the apex or whatever um but i don't know we'll see we'll see where it goes i was about to say like man Baldur's gate's gonna be like game of the year or whatever but this really lets the wind out of the sails we'll see if starfield okay can can dethrone the the bethesda classic skyrim yeah how 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 far <sighs> uh, how so how far into ball like you hit cap are you in act three at least or are you okay so it's I'm in Act 3, we finish Act 2, which to be fair, I was surprised that was Act 2. I don't really quite understand the difference between the acts, to be honest. Yeah, um, I mean, they're only kind of roughly delineated, right? Like, I, I I, think I told you that I finished Act 1, which me, which I guess I was kind of wrong about, because, like, I finished the thing that tells you to go to Act 2, but then, like, getting to Act 2 has been, like, another, like, 15 hours, because I didn't do the Underdark first. Um... Yeah. yeah, and then and then you can keep going back to Act One regions. This was the thing that happened to us. We didn't realize we thought you could. It was an either or, but it, you can just kind of do both when you're moving from Act One to Act Two, essentially. And we were like, "Oh, well, I guess we'll just go back and do the the first thing, right?" Um, which is essentially what happened. Um, uh, yeah, I ha I have some issues with on like a on like a story level, but it is very like D and D, and it's very D and D in like a high. Th nothing, even Kingmaker and um, 
Rats. You know, like other kind of, yeah, like C- these CRPGs, which are true adventure paths, don't quite feel like a D&D game in the way that this does. And I think really what it comes down to is like the use of iconic monsters, right? Um, that it's a story so centered on Illithid and Mind Flayers, right? Um, that it is getting to use stuff like... Uh, you know, like Beholders or Displacer Beasts, all that stuff that's like in the D&D IP that Pathfinder doesn't theoretically have access to um, is actually pretty great and pretty neat, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, I'm learning D&D mechanics. Yeah, it has mostly just made me want to play D&D super bad. We're actually spooling up another uh, another D&D campaign. Uh, Honestly, a lot of this is just fueled by my undying need to play more like D and D after having played this Baldur's Gate stuff. Um, I have since learned, do you know about, do you know about, I can't remember what it's called. It's like something like the Bilgewater stuff. Do you know about that? Legends of Runeterra, something Bilgewater. It is a D and D partnered companion piece that is League of Legends lore. Um, and they include some archetypes, like subclasses for characters um, that are just literally there's the renegade which is a fighter archetype that gets a gun and it's just graves um and there is the wild card which is a um which is a rogue archetype yeah that that's twisted fate you're throwing cards um you're you're using a deck of cards as a weapon you can make them razor sharp and you can throw them and they do you know they do damage or whatever but the crazy thing the crazy thing that you would probably go apeshit for is there is a barbarian type, I think called Path of the Deep, right? Which the lore is you are someone, you're like a sailor who's drowned, um, but you were resuscitated, you like you were drowned in the depths of the ocean, but you washed ashore and you were resuscitated kind of thing. But like your brush with like the deep darkness has given you crazy shit or whatever. Um, and so... Uh, when you when you rage, you have this like special manifestation of like the deeps uh, that is uh, you know like it's like a it's like a like a tentacle. But they also talk about like you get a you you could get a weapon. Uh, it's just like oh you get a weapon that's an anchor, right? It's like oh what are they doing here, right? And you get special actions to you know pull people in with like your thing so you could literally just become nautilus and start nautilus hooking people in D D or whatever and i was like that's cool <laughs> that's yeah. neat no apps that, that that does sound neat um yeah um i didn't even get to talk about um fucking i did like mini, like cl- like historical miniatures wargaming with like real people the other day which is like super fun um like at a the shop or kind of so contest? like i went to this con back in march and one of the guys who played was like oh yeah we have like a club that plays every once in a while you were just like sure and so they invited me to play this club is apparently older than i am and they just play like historical miniatures games it's great um i played a that sounds honestly so fucking cool <laughs> yeah i played I play this game called clash of spears which is like romans versus carthaginians and just like moving people around on the table rolling dice getting kills right like it was super fun it's like a, it's you know obviously there's like not real like the story is like this is a battle in this war right like go fight you know this battle right like um so it's not like story heavy but it's like a fun thing to do um so you know yeah and you know i, I will say that i think part of the issue um with like like i i the more the more i play a couple of adventure paths with people um in real life and uh, i think i just don't like adventure paths i think they're way too constrained um, like you put in a lot of effort when we played, um, uh, Oh, Hell's Rebels. Rebels. Yeah. 
to make it like a lot more flexible but like just kind of running them as they're written is just kind of like well whatever it's like a very it's like the crunchy part is still fun but it's like not like my favorite Honestly. i feel you yeah especially like no that's one of the this one Oh, I hate, yeah, I get that. I, yeah, I get that. It's funny because um, in, so last week I actually played a D&D one shot, which was very, which was very fun, um, where I was basically the most, I, I, I told her it was like the most concentrated version of myself playing D&D, right? I was playing a warlock. Um, I was playing Gonder, actually. Um, I was playing a warlock. I rewrote, uh, we were using pre-generated characters, but I just knew the spell list, so I, I, crossed out stuff and warlock was and he was a warlock he's you know path of the chain warlock or whatever um but all of his stuff was related to smoke because gondra smokes a pipe or whatever so he had misty step but like the the flavor of misty step is that the smoke billows out of his pipe and he hoofs yeah, right yeah. or gaseous form or whatever there were three rounds of combat on the first round of combat i used the pull you know the eldritch blast that pulls guys to pull two guys like two the, you know, it was like red caps in a castle. I was like pulling the 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 red caps off of you know off of the castle while they fell a bunch right into melee with like our guys or whatever. In the second turn, someone had webbed the opening of the the gate of the castle opened. There's a bunch of red caps. The red what, the red cap king is riding a pig and his pig is ensnared, but the king is not right. Um, and so it rolled around in my turn. I asked the DM. I was like how elastic is this web? And he's like, it's pretty elastic. And I was like, okay, I shoot two Eldritch Blasts at the pig, right? The first one pulls, the second one pushes, right? So I shot these two Eldritch Blasts, the pig gets yanked forward and then shot back and it shoots the king into the back wall of the, uh, you know, like of the castle because of the slingshot effect of this whatever thing. And then the third round of combat, I technically wasn't there for it, but... Um, the, the king's crown was cursed, right? So, you know, somebody went forward, they, they picked up the crown, the crown cast a curse, they rolled a nat one, so they're cursed, right? And so he puts on the crown and he's like, I'm gonna be the new king in the castle and, you know, you're all going to be my subjects or whatever. And I did this whole RP about uh, casting uh, gaseous form on, I, I was like, I did this whole thing where I, I cast Gaseous Form on the king and I made him a willing subject by lying about the spell I was casting to him, right? But I disincluded the crown in the Gaseous Form so he poofs out and the cursed crown clings to the ground or whatever. I was just like, this is what I'm playing D&D for, right? It is doing out crazy out-of-the-box bullshit like this, right? Um, so, yeah, I understand the aversion to Adventure Paths. I think I honestly probably agree to you. I feel like if your Adventure Path can't support um some like real crazy nonsense it's like this isn't worth your time yeah what's the point anyway. yeah yeah i mean uh like this one i'm playing is called abomination vaults it's basically a straight dungeon crawl and it's fine for what it is but like it's you know not my favorite yeah but uh yeah we're over time just wrap it up probably right yeah, yeah, probably. I can't believe we went long on the Blue Beetle episode. Yep. Look at us go. Well, if you'd like to email us about anything you talked about in this podcast, reach us on some dopesful games at gmail.com or podcast at some dopesful games.com. Follow us twitch.tv slash dopesful games or uh, uh, youtube.com slash at some dopesful games where these go out live. Um, do I think that's. Oh, rate review us on iTunes wherever you find podcasts. We've got all the links down in the descriptions. Uh, 
do, do, do. Uh, I think that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote? I do have a big announcement uh, on Thursday, on August 31st, uh, related to Astrea. For those of you who follow my work uh, at Akupara, because Astrea has been... I don't know. I've loved this game. I'm gonna. I was talking about getting an Australia tattoo last week, <laughs> um, and uh, and there's big news. There's big Australia news on the 31st. So tune in. Check it out. It'll do. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, I'm gonna say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>